You are going to be the best mom. I'm an amazing mother. You are the best mom in the whole world. Lady, you are the best mom ever. Welcome to The Mom Show, My Talk 1071's new show featuring guests and topics that all good moms will want to hear. The phone lines are open for your questions. Am I doing this right? 651-641-1071 or email the show at mytalk1071.com, keyword mom. Happy Sunday to you all. Thank you for joining us here for The Mom Show on My Talk 1071. I'm Miss Shannon, and I'm reminding you what we do here on The Mom Show. What we do is we make your life easier because as busy people, there are lots of things that you mean to look up, lots of resources that you know should be at hand, but you don't have time to ask those questions. And so we we get a repository of experts that come here and hang out with you every Sunday morning here on The Mom Show. And this morning, joined by a very good friend of mine. I enjoy her so much, and I wish that I had known you when I was having my son. Uh, Dr. Amy Johnson-Grass from Health Foundations Birth Center over in St. Paul. Good morning again, Dr. Amy. Morning. I, you know, because you have a, a son that's pretty much the same age as Cyclone Kids, so I managed, <laughs> we managed to get them to 10. We've managed to get them to like 9 and 10, but I wish that I had known you when I was going through the process when he was younger. Because uh, there were some things that you always talk about when you're on the show that really, as a mom and as a parent, you make us feel better about because you give us that that freedom from feeling like we have to be perfect. All right. <laughs> yes. No parent is perfect. Right. And going, this is the way it's supposed to work. Why does it not work that way for me? Right. And I appreciate what you uh, do over at Health Foundations Birth Center because you do provide so many options for the people that come to see you. Thank you. Yes, we offer, you know, we talk lots about the maternity care that we offer. So we help you through pregnancy, through the labor and delivery and postpartum care. But we do lots of other things, too. We're a women's health clinic. We're a lactation center. So if you're having problems breastfeeding or feeding your baby, we have a lactation consultant on staff that can help you. We've got classes. We've got mom's groups, breastfeeding groups, speakers that come in. And so really, we try and build community within our community for moms and families so that it doesn't feel quite so overwhelming. You don't feel quite so on your own. Right. And I also appreciate the fact that you help provide the right question when sometimes people didn't even know where to start. I think that's huge. And, you know, I think that's really huge for life, period, is, you know, if it's something that we don't do all the time, we don't always know the right question to ask to get the information that we need. And we really recognize that at Health Foundations that, you know, we you don't come up with all of these parenting things or pregnancy or labor or kids or babies. It's new for a lot of people. And even if it's your second or third baby, you know, kids are different. And right. So it's nice because we really try and supply you with the information that we know is helpful. And that way you get to go home or you get to digest it and then come back and ask more questions. And you don't always have to come up with that right question to get the information that you need. And granted, we all Google, yes. right? I Google, middle right. of the night. I'm like, okay, now what is this? <laughs> right. And what then I text this a friend like? and Where's say- Where's a picture? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I text my friend and I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And she's like, oh, Amy, here we go again. You're not dying. <laughs> <laughs> but you need somebody that can do that for you. And I usually don't think I'm dying, but I do think that I am like harming my child somehow. Like, should yes. I give him this? Is it okay that he's drinking this thing? How much dye is in this Powerade that he like, you know, nagged yeah. me into buying him? So I constantly feel like I'm slightly poisoning him with, <laughs> with snacks and treats. 
And parenting is a negotiation, right? Right. Um, not only between you and your children, but also between you and yourself. Kind of just negotiating that wiggle room and that room to breathe, really. Right. Right. Giving yourself that permission to learn. I always say, if I was given, like, I have a nine and an eleven year old. Liam just turned eleven. Congratulations! Um, and so we've made it. And <laughs> <laughs> right. but if somebody handed me a toddler or handed me my nine and eleven year old when I was pregnant, right? You know, I'd have been like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was a lot of learning that happens." And you know, you learn as your kids grow, right. which is the nice thing because you learn along with them. It's not like we're pre-programmed to know all of this information, to know what we absolutely have to do. And the interesting thing I think is so lacking in our educational systems is just everyday know-how. Right. And parenting, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody ever teaches us how to parent or think about parenting or really the down and dirty of nutrition. Right. I mean, sure, the nutrition classes, there's kind of that standard nutrients and this is what food does for you. But when and it comes a down thing to the down vitamins and dirty, that matter. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's that down and dirty. And so I think it's really difficult sometimes as people become parents to really understand of like, oh my gosh, there's so much to know or that I don't know all right. of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you can always get information on contacting Health Foundations by going to their website, health-foundations.com. You can also go to our website, mytalk1071.com and use the keyword mom show to get all the information for Dr. Dream, uh, Dr. Amy and her team over there. But Dr. Amy, I don't think we talked about this in a while. Why did you decide as in the grand scheme of all things that doctors can do? Why do you do Health Foundations Birth Center? Oh, it's been a journey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've been a provider for almost 15 years. And, you know, in the beginning when I started and, you know, this was back in college when I thought, okay, I'm going to do the pre-med. I'm going to go to med school um, and go that whole route. Right. And I was volunteering in a hospital at that time on their um, med surge ward. And I volunteered there for several years and we would start seeing patients come back over and over again. Right. And no education was happening. I felt like really all we were doing was dispensing meds. And a lot of these things were things that could have been maybe prevented or helped change right. their trajectory in life at some point. I particularly have always been interested in women's health and pediatrics. That's mm -hmm. really my specialty. That's that's who I see and that's who I help, obviously, because of the birth center, but other things that I've done in my life. And, you know, when I started going through that journey, I was like, oh, how is how can I best do this? I right. really want the education piece. And that's where I really found naturopathic medicine because it was still... Um, you know, it's med school. So you go through, um, four years of medical school. And then I did a fellowship here at the University of Minnesota in their medical research foundation. But, um, you also learn about diet and nutrient therapy, herbs, homeopathy, um, counseling, you know, all of those things and really that education piece. Right. And when I, um, shadowed a naturopath early on, I found that she spent an hour sitting with, her clients and really learned their story. Right. We weren't just looking at the symptom. So we were looking at the whole picture and saying, okay, sure, you're having the symptom and we can do stuff to alleviate it, but let's look at this whole picture and say, okay, 
really, what do we have to get at so you're truly feeling better? Because we can put a Band-Aid on anything. Right. But as soon as you take that Band-Aid off, you're no better off than where you started. Exactly. So um, that kind of carried through and really through into the birth center. And so when I started on the maternity journey, when I really loved that pregnancy and labor and delivery in the beginning, I just wanted women to know their options, right? I really support women wherever they choose to deliver, but to know your options is golden. Right. Because then you know what's out there. And that's really where the questions started, you know, knowing the right questions to ask. Exactly. Then through the years, it's really been seeing women, you know, Pregnancy, labor, and delivery are an opportunity for women to change and grow in amazing ways. And I like that you encourage them to go, this can be a joyous experience for you versus what we see from the movie where it's always terrifying and you're miserable and yelling at people. Like you you really do go, it doesn't have to be that experience it for you. It doesn't have to be. And I think when women are supported and they're educated and they are supported in knowing that their bodies can do this, they can do this, that when they birth their baby and that baby comes up on their chest, that woman is changed right, for life. And I always say, you know, when moms feel empowered and when women feel empowered, they make better moms, better wives, better women, better, you know, for themselves, they see themselves in a different way and it makes a huge difference for how they are in the world. And think, thinking of uh, how you see yourself, I am so glad that you were going to talk about what we're going to cover today on The Mom Show. And so I don't know if you notice when you look at me right now, I have on a lot of my under eye concealer yeah. because <laughs> I have not been sleeping well and neither has my son because I have that wonky kid that's not a great sleeper. And that's what we're going to cover today is some sleeping yes. strategies, right? <laughs> so one way for moms and families to be their best is to really learn a little bit about sleep. And so that's what we're going to talk a little bit today is managing newborn sleep schedules and what to expect and some tips and tricks that can help along the way. And if you have any questions, you can call us here on The Mom Show and speak to our expert, Dr. Amy from Health Foundation's Birth Center. That number is 651-641-1071, 651-641-1071. We'll be right back here on The Mom Thank you for joining us here on The Mom Show on My Talk 1071. I'm Ms. Shannon, joined from Health Foundation's Birth Center uh, from Dr. Amy Johnson-Grass. She is here, the uh, founder, the chief poobah over at Health Foundation's <laughs> Birth Center. All things amazing over at Health Foundations. And I'm glad that we're laughing um, at this morning because uh, the topic that we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, sleep and, and sleep as a parent, sleep with a kid. And it doesn't work out as easy as you think it would be. And I think that it's one of those things that you really just don't know what to expect. But you see these stories, you know, on on TV of like these amazing babies sleeping and the babies are so cute when they they're sleeping. Sleep. No, <laughs> Let's just be honest. Right. I'm like, they're up all the time. How do, what are they doing? Like, how do they do that? And so we're going to cover that this morning. We're also uh, going to take your questions. If you have a question for Dr. Amy, you can call us here at the mom show at 651-641-1071. That's 651-641-1071. And, and I know we just said they don't sleep, but as a parent, when you have a baby or even a kid, let's cover what we should expect. Like what's sure. quote unquote normal, Dr. Amy? Yeah, I think it's good to know what to set your expectations at mm -hmm. and then 
you know, kind of go from there. Okay. And I'll just preface today by saying, you know, this is, I put all of this newborn sleep information together, partly from, I mean, everybody knows there's so many books out there. Right. There's so many resources. And then my experience as a mom. Yes. You know, I have, I always mention, I have a nine-year-old and 11-year-old, Isla and Liam, and I have the two opposite spectrums. Okay. You know, and I think this is true with a lot of firsts. Firsts really give us a run for our money. <laughs> right. And we're learning, mm-hmm. right? We make all of our mistakes with our first, and then we're like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> exactly. right. And then subsequent children, you're like, you're still learning, but you're like, okay, I've already really learned. Yes. So this is what we're going to do with everybody else. But, you know, Liam, who's our now 11-year-old, he he was a stinker. Yeah. So, you know, he is the one that we would put in a sling. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking over very early on and my husband would be sitting up in bed with Liam in a sling and he'd be sleeping. Yes. Because that's the only way we could get him to sleep. We were also that crazy family in the middle of winter at two o'clock in the morning who would wrap everybody up, put everybody in the car. Yes. In a snowstorm and drive the two blocks up and down our street. Because <laughs> that's the our only child thing you would do. Asleep. I, rem- oh, I totally can relate to all of that. Where once you find something that works, as ridiculous as it is, oh, yeah. you keep doing it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, if I, you know, early on, I don't feel like we had Facebook. I didn't take so many pictures. But I would have loved to catalog how many naps we took in the car mm. with Liam. Uh-huh. In the, like I did that in the garage. Uh-huh. So we would like get there. If he was sleeping in the car, we would just shut the garage door and all of the whole family would just nap sitting in the car. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. So when Isla came along, I thought, oh, well, of course their personalities are different. She is, you know, Liam's not a great sleeper. He still isn't always a great sleeper. We'll talk about that too, about what, what happens with kids. But Isla, I was like, okay, we're doing this different this mm-hmm. time. And so we made a little bit different choices along the way. And I think, well, it worked out a little bit better. She's an awesome sleeper. She puts herself to bed. Mm-hmm. She wakes up. I mean, whew, thank goodness. <laughs> but, you know, when they're newborns, it's really to think about, okay, newborns sleep about 16 to 18 hours a day. Right. So you wonder, why in the world am I so tired? Mm-hmm. The problem is they only stay asleep for about two, maybe at most four hours. But right. when you really think about it, if a newborn is up every two hours, that means you're up every two hours. Right. Especially in the beginning, in those first couple of weeks, that I always say, Families, please remember those first two weeks are the hardest yes. and it keeps getting better. Okay. So really muscle through those two weeks, but um, sleep when your baby sleeps. Yes. And know that, you know, they don't know their sleep and wake cycles. Okay. It's not really a time to think about sleep scheduling yet. Okay. And really infant feeding is the thing that's driving a lot of their sleep and wake. Okay. So, you know, newborns eat about every two to three hours or on demand. Yes. And so if they're eating every two to three hours, that means you're up every two to three hours. Yes. The clincher is, so you feed baby and then you change their diaper and then you put clothes on and then they poop again. Yes. And then, so all of a sudden a whole hour has gone by and it's, you're like, oh my gosh, now I have to maybe eat something myself or whatever that looks like. Or maybe like, squeeze in a shower or, maybe. you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> and then it's like, oh my gosh, we're starting that cycle all over again of feeding again every two to three hours. So I think just knowing that that's normal is okay. Mm-hmm. And then infants too, they cluster feed okay. at some point. And, this and what happens, do you mean by that? Yep. So, and this happens for several months. So there's a time in the day when you think, oh my gosh, we just fed baby, but they want to eat, 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 eat. Mm -hmm. And so they might eat every half hour, every hour 
for a good two to three, four hour chunk. Okay. And then be like, okay, now I'll space back out to that every two to three hours. <laughs> All right. So to have one of those cluster feedings during the day, and I always say a lot of times it can be in the later afternoon, early evening. So that four to six time, but that's not a given. Yeah. And so it can really happen at any time during the day. It can happen at two o'clock in the morning might be where baby likes to cluster feed. And so, um, that is why I think parents initially feel so exhausted. Okay. And you know, it's okay. But the big thing and the key to this is truly to sleep on baby sleeps. I remember when uh, Cyclone Kid was younger, we would talk about, uh, people would tell me about the witching hour. Like there'd be a time during the day when he was just crabby all the time. And it seemed oh, yes. to be for a pretty, uh, is that normal? Is back yes. to what I was talking about normal, where it's like, this is the time of day the baby's crabby. Yes. Okay. And what is it that actually, is there a reason why that causes that? Or are they just, they're not there. Is this around their cluster feeding time or something to do with their sleeping or what usually causes that? You know, I guess I've never really thought about a cause. I've just okay. really thought about of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, for us, it was always, always between four and four thirty until yeah. about seven. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like nothing that we would really would do work. Baby was completely crabby. Right. And, you know, it's a lot of times I always think those witching hours mm-hmm. are also coincide with the times when you're just like, oh, my gosh, I'm done for the day. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, I am not because now you don't like me. Why are yes. you so mad? at like? Because for us, it was a similar is around five o'clock. Yeah. He just get crabby. Yeah. And nothing. The only thing that would work is like I could carry him and wander around in a circle, basically. And he'd go. All right. But if you sit down. I'm mad again, uh-huh. you know, and I just always thought that that was interesting because you hope that that's a wives tale. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to think that that was just something that somebody told me that wasn't really going to happen. And then I had that kid that was crabby every afternoon. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. And I think, too, for if there's um, one of the parents who are staying home initially and then the other parent comes home, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times that other parent comes home right around that time when babies are most crabby. Right. And I think just recognizing that it is kind of that witching hour and it doesn't correlate with one partner or the other with baby, because sometimes I see dads or partners really feel bumped yeah like okay i get these couple hours with baby in the evening and i come home and they're crabby yeah and know that it's just you know it's for a period of time but also it it, it's it's normal okay it can be really normal and i think too you know talking about a little bit in those early days you know initially um If you're breastfeeding, you know, moms will really want to establish breastfeeding. And so that nursing every two to three hours um, or on demand. However, you know, as those first couple of weeks go by, if moms want to be pumping Mm -hmm. a little bit during the day or in the morning, you know, that's something that maybe one or two of the feedings overnight can be handled by dad or the partner. Gotcha. And that's a great bonding time for dad and baby or partner and baby. And um, it really gives them an opportunity, but it also gives a chance for mom to sleep yes and we all need a little bit more sleep i'm sure sometimes it just lends to more sanity i think and especially you know we see moms you know for the delivery we do a home visit we talk them around one week but when we see them for their two-week visit at the office um that is maybe around the time when babies start 
once in a while, sleeping a little longer, but definitely at their six-week visit, we start saying moms. So at their two-week visit, moms look dead and tired. Yes. And then at their six-week visit, they say, oh my gosh, baby's sleeping for three hours at night. And there's like this big smile (laughs) on their face. And they're like, oh my gosh, I feel like a new person. (laughs) And you're like, yes, I know. Even that little bit longer of sleep can make a huge difference. And Dr. Amy, you said that you changed some some strategies from your first child to your second. So what are a couple of the things that you did differently? So what we're going to be talking about next Mm -hmm. is, you know, I mentioned there's all of these resources. Right. All of these books about cry it out, don't cry it out, family sleep, don't family sleep, co-sleep, don't close sleep. Truly, I think however you want to sleep, figure that out. Right. And be good, be happy with it. And then pick your strategies. Okay. But there's one group of strategies in particular that I've really found, regardless of how you choose to sleep your baby, really work. All right. I am excited to share that with all of our listeners here on My Talk 1071. We'll be right back with Dr. Amy Johnson Grass from Health Foundations Birth Center here on The Mom Show on My Talk 1071. Very true what Kesha says in that song. I wish that somebody would have told me that. And that is what we're doing this morning with Dr. Amy Johnson-Grass from Health Foundation's Birth Center. We are giving you some information that you wish you had had. Like if you have a wonky kid that doesn't sleep right, we are freeing you from thinking that you are doing something wrong. That's just what happens sometimes, isn't what we're saying? What you're saying, Dr. Amy? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So if you have any questions and you would like to speak with Dr. Amy, you can call us here at 651-641-1071. That's 651-641-1071. And today we're talking about babies and kids and how they sleep. So this is it. Mm -hmm. This is the key. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's ready. Drum roll. Here we go. All right. Okay. So we hear about all of these techniques um, that work to help babies soothe, Mm -hmm. really, and help sleep. But there's one resource that I found over the years that works really well because it puts all of these techniques together. And it's called Happiest Baby on the Block. Okay. And I think a lot of people have probably heard about it Mm -hmm. or have thought, oh, yep, that's one of those resources that are out there. Like yes. the name that you know, it's by Dr. Carp, K-A-R-P. And this is something um, that I really recommend all families watch the DVD okay. or the video. Okay. There's a book, but it's really the, it's really the video that's going to be helpful. And it's not long. Okay. Because these techniques are things that you need to see how they work. Right. You can't just read about them. Ah, so when you, it's, it's, it's much better in this particular case to have the visual. Yes. You know, okay. So the happiest baby on the block really talks about what's called the five S's. Okay. It's swaddle, side or stomach position, shush, swing, and suck. Okay. And so you do them in that order. And what happens is sometimes it's, it's always normally a combination of these things that really works. Right. Sometimes things work on their own, but if you really have that difficult child or that difficult sleeper or that baby who does not like to nap. Yes. You know, these are the things that I really recommend that you try. And early on in my career, I was doing more home visits. So I would go into people's homes, especially in those first few weeks. And I remember sometimes getting calls in the middle of the night and parents were just at their wits end. And I would drive out to their house and I'd be like, okay, we're going to learn these techniques that we'd learn them really in about 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. I would do it with baby. Baby would calm. We would do it with the parents. 
so that they felt like they knew they had the techniques and we were good to go. Okay. And granted, I mean, it's a learning curve. It's something you need to practice. Will all babies absolutely follow this? You know, no, nothing right. is an absolute, right? However, I really think that um, this is really a wonderful start for parents. And it's Happiest Baby on the Block. Happiest Baby on the Block by Dr. Karp, K-A-R-P. So the first um, thing that he talks about, and remember, it's the five S's. So okay. the first S is swaddle. And we actually put together a video at the birth center this week, and it's um, going to be up on the Mom Show Perfect. Um, Facebook page. So look for it there. But it's really just a reminder of the best way to swaddle baby. Because I think sometimes people, it's it's amazing how many people don't necessarily know how to swaddle. Right. So you over swaddle or you turn them into like a little baby burrito and maybe that's not the right way to do it. No, actually, that's really perfect. But okay. sometimes it doesn't stay or... Who knows? Okay. Not tight enough. Because, you know, if you think about babies, they've been in this little water balloon. Yes. And, you know, if you ask to see your placenta after you deliver Mm -hmm. and somebody holds up that um, amniotic sac or when you think my water broke, you know, that water balloon that breaks, you actually see where baby has lived for the last nine months. Mm -hmm. And it truly is this large water balloon. And I always say it's so amazing to me to see babies, moms holding babies, and then to look at that sac and think, how is it possible that two or three hours ago that that baby actually fit in that water balloon? <laughs> right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really how tight they are in there. And so once they're delivered and they're out in the world and there's gravity, you know, you see these babies startle. That's a normal reflex. But really, gravity is on them. Mm-hmm. And they aren't, you know, in this tight cocoon of a water balloon anymore. So that swaddling helps kind of bring them back to a familiarity, to a place that they know. Right. You know, there's swaddle blankets. There's those really gauzy blankets that Mm -hmm. have a little bit of stretch. You don't want to have the cotton um, receiving blankets that that are really, that they don't have any stretch. Okay. Because you need a little bit of stretch when you swaddle. Mm -hmm. There's also these things that are like cocoons where you just zip baby in. So you put baby in, um, they're, I, the brand that I know is called Wombi, W-O-O-M-B-I. And you can look, find them online. I'm sure you can find them at some of the baby stores in the area. And it takes the mystery out of swaddling. So really, it's just you put baby in this little cocoon, you zip them up, done. See, I think that that's, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I have a friend who just had a baby uh, two months ago. And so I've been looking for strategies to help her out. So now I know that that's, if I'm going to get her something, yeah. Instead of sending wine, this is what I'll get. Is I'll, oh, like, I'll yes. send a wombi. That's what they need is they need sleep. So I'm they like, that'll sleep. be great. Mm-hmm. And so um, that swaddle, again, it's just a familiarity. It keeps babies in nice and tight. The things that I like about some of the swaddle blankets and the wombies is, you know, what you hear from parents when you swaddle is baby kicks out or they want their arms out right. or, you know, whatever that might be. And some of these swaddle blankets are like the wombies. They still allow baby to have a little bit of that flexibility. So they have a little bit of that stretch and um, they can be a little bit happier that way. Dr. Amy, let's go to the phones for just a second. So uh, we've been giving some great suggestions. And Terry, um, Terry, are you a mom? I am. And so how many kids I do you have? A, I had a baby when I was 50. I am a massage therapist for over 25 years. I worked on my child as soon as she was born with cranial sacral therapy and myofascial release. Okay, everybody everybody slow down. Wait, you just said a bunch of words. (laughs) That probably no one knows. I have no idea what either of you are talking about, but Dr. Amy got excited as well, Terry. So say that again more slowly. Okay, uh, I am a massage therapist. I have been in the field over 25 years. I worked on my child as soon as she was born with the cranial sacral therapy and myofascial release. 
within two weeks, she was sleeping all night. All right, that's now amazing. let's pause you. Yes. So now, Dr. Amy, what, is, what, what did Terry just say that she did? So I think the two things that I heard mm-hmm. were craniosacral therapy and that you're a massage therapist. And massage for babies is amazing. Okay. It's amazing. It it's really totally is amazing. amazing. I, have, I work on babies a lot. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, it's a great, great, great resource. And I think, um, especially, I'm going to focus a little bit on the massage and then we'll talk a little bit about craniosacral therapy. Okay. So I think for a massage, and, and you can chime in, Terry, too, because uh, you do this all the time, that it's a really wonderful way for mom and baby to bond. Okay. It's a Absolutely. really wonderful way to, you know, just think as an adult how awesome and amazing you feel after a massage. Right. You know, it's really calming for babies as well in a similar way to have that contact, you know, to have, you know, it stimulates different nervous systems and it stimulates babies sometimes to, you know, calm instead of be up and awake. And so um, a lot of times, too, you know, we were talking, you know, on break, you can add in some essential oils and Mm -hmm. those can also be calming. And so really wonderful. I think it's a great, wonderful resource, especially for sleep, but just in general for mood for babies and for moms and, and families, period. Right. It's a, it's a real important factor because as the baby is, depending on how they are born, some doctors many years ago, as we know, the babies were pulled out. Yep. In the back of the neck are a lot of learning disorders that form if the baby is not in the proper function. So that's what we have to always remember. And a lot of times people come to me and say, what should I do during my birth in regards to after? And I suggest, let's talk about craniosacral therapy. We're going to get the body back into its proper functioning. It's going to grow in a proper manner. And it's going to enjoy that touch. And it's so relaxing that I think the first thing my daughter did, which again, she fell asleep within just a couple of weeks all night long. It was a, it was a total miracle. It was yeah. <laughs> so really good resources. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, you. Terry. We appreciate You're you doing so that. Thank you for having me. That is the other uh, thing that I love about talking with you, Dr. Amy, is that you do bring up some things that we don't automatically hear about um, and, and going, well, this might be an option for you and providing a broad range of options for mm-hmm. moms and babies that are out there. So I, I did actually a mom and baby massage mm-hmm. with um, both of my kids when they were little. Um, a really good resource, and I believe they still teach it, is um, Bluma in the Twin Cities has great um, massage classes for moms and babies. They also have mom and baby yoga, mm-hmm. which I think is another really good option for families. Um, but I, it's a really nice, easy technique, and it's not difficult. Okay. So simple. Yes. I want to put in here too, and I was going to talk a little bit about this later, but I think this is a really nice um, thing to just put in here. There's going to be a point when babies are good sleepers. Yes. And you know. um, And you'll go, angels smile down upon us. Yes. Exactly. And then maybe three months will go by and all of a sudden babies or toddlers or even a little bit older children don't sleep as well anymore. Right. And, you know, there's a couple of things I want to remind parents. For us, it was generally every three to six months. And I'm going to specifically talk about Isla. Every three to six months, she would forget how to sleep. Okay. And it's either she was learning something new, she was going through a growth spurt, or whatever that might be. But it was almost like we needed 
two weeks, mm-hmm. and it really was that 10 to 14 days where we just needed to remind her how to sleep again. Okay. So it was like I had to pull out my arsenal okay. and say, okay, we're going to do this specific routine and massage and a bath and this and that. And really, it, it was reminded me, when the first time it happened, it was like, oh my God, what happened? She's not <laughs> sleeping again. I broke her. How did I break her? Well, not only that, you're like, oh my God, we were getting sleep and now we're not sleeping again. I can't do this. Right. But, you know, I started noticing this pattern and I'm like, huh. And I started talking to more and more parents over the years. And it's something that I think a lot of parents experience, but nobody talks about. The one thing that I find that really helps when this starts is if you are open to chiropractic care for your kids, to really bring them into a chiropractor who knows children and get them adjusted. Okay. Because a lot of times what's happening when you're when it's cyclic like that around every three to six months is their bodies are learning something new. Maybe they're crawling, maybe they're walking, or they're integrating something new into their learning. And they're kind of, if you think about it, their bodies are excited. Okay. And they want to keep doing it and they want to learn more. You know, Getting adjusted for kids um, can really help them integrate those new things in. When I'm speaking to a potential chiropractor, how? what question do I ask other than just, have you ever worked on a kid? Like, how do I yeah. know to, to make that proper decision? So oftentimes the chiropractors who are really kid friendly, um, you will know it by things like their um, website or, you know, a lot of times there's um, a pediatric chiropractic association they might okay. belong to. Um, I believe there's a certification for pediatrics or you'll see that it truly is a focus of their practice. Okay. Um, Amber Morvec, who's the chiropractor in our office, she really specializes in pregnancy, women's health and kids. Okay. And you know that when you see her. All right. You know? But it's a good to ask um, just to say, hey, you know, what are the most common things you treat? How do you adjust kids? You know, adjusting kids should be really fairly gentle. Mm-hmm. It's not like an adult, adult adjustment. Right. It shouldn't be anything scary for kids. Um, you know, I know we started um, getting our kids adjusted really early on and it's just something that then now they know how to do and they run in and they lay on the table <laughs> and they're like, okay, Dr. Amber, we're going to get our popcorns checked today, you know? Uh, and mm-hmm. so it's just something that they know and she's never made it scary and they feel good. Outstanding. You know? So those are just kind of things to think about. And I know that we have some more tips that are coming up yeah. when we come back. What do you want to cover last? So we're going to do the four other S's. And then I really want to talk about one's kind of the make it or break it time to decide on how you're going to sleep your baby. All right. That is coming up here on The Mom Show with Dr. Amy Johnson-Grass from Health Foundations. We'll be right back. Here we are on The Mom Show. Happy Sunday to you. Thank you for joining us. We're also joined from Health Foundation's Birth Center over in St. Paul. Dr. Amy Johnson-Grass is with us again this morning. And Dr. Amy, thank you so much for bringing up uh, the fact that it's okay if your kid doesn't sleep. You know, it's something, it's the worst worst kept (laughs) secret out there. Like you don't, it's one of those things where... You know, I, sometimes I do feel bad going, no, my kid doesn't sleep, but he doesn't, you know, he's 10. And he, it, as you mentioned in the last segment, they'll do well for a while and then fall off the good sleeping train and mm-hmm. it's hard to get them back on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think so with the newborn piece. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about those five S's. Yes. So swaddle we talked about. I want to talk about the last four S's and then the really important thing at the end okay. is really when the make it or break it All right. to make that choice as to how you're going to sleep your baby. So um, the next S is side or stomach position. Okay. Because um, when babies are sleeping on their sides or their stomach, and I know the 
recommendation is babies sleep on their back or their side. So really where your comfort zone is. So say we're laying baby on their side. It signals their nervous system to shut down and rest. Okay. When we sleep babies on their back, it signals their nervous system to be awake. Okay. And if you think about all of the um, brightness out in front of them, it really uh, jives them or kind of revs them up. them up. Mm-hmm. So side or stomach position. And then the other pieces, you know, they talk about the shh, the shush. Yes. And you think about, you know, when babies are inside mommy's tummies, that is kind of what they're hearing. You know, it's like that when you think about going underwater in a pool. Yes. That shh is really what you're hearing. So that's why it's soothing when they're out even. Yes. That and it's not just a shh when they're far away when you're holding them. You're actually swaddled baby holding them on their side and next to their ear, you're shh. Okay. And it really helps. It's kind of that white noise. Then you can also, you know, if you need to add in a swing, that's Mm -hmm. why I say this, the watching the video is so helpful because it helps integrate it all together. And then the last piece is a suck. And so oftentimes people talk about like a pacifier, a nookie of some sort, and I think they're completely fine. Okay. You know, I am not an anti-nookie, anti-pacifier person. You know, I've talked to tons of pediatric dentists about what's better, a pacifier or a thumb. Yes. And hands down, everybody says a pacifier because one, you can take it away. Yes. And, you know, there might be a little bit of shift in the teeth from my understanding, but once you take it away, they shift back. Okay. Versus a thumb, it is doing permanent changes to the palate, to the teeth, and that's something and one, probably you can't a more just diff- take yeah, thumb it's away. it's a difficult thing to break that <laughs> habit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, you know, a little tidbit here and there. So the swaddle, side or stomach position, the shush, the swing, and the suck. Okay. Those are kind of your wheelhouse you know that's kind of your toolkit and so if your baby is getting to the point that they do well at that and then you find them going through that cycle where now they're not sleeping as well you just go back to that toolkit and start over again start over again i really would think about you know i think the um the caller was right think about the massage okay. think about getting an adjustment with mm-hmm. a chiropractor um i think those then you start bringing in some of those other resources but i think this is truly a really great place to start for the beginning okay okay the one thing i do want to mention that i think is so valuable is around nine months babies really start you know standing up on their own if they're in a crib they start standing up and holding on to the edge of the crib yes i always say However you want to sleep, if you're co-sleeping, if you do a family bed, if you do a crib, you know, there's really no right or wrong way. Okay. I'll just be honest. Mm -hmm. I think it's truly whatever your family is choosing that works best for you. However, at before nine months, you know, eight to nine months, make your choice. Right. So if you want a baby to be sleeping on their own in a crib, Mm -hmm. you need to be working up to that prior to nine months. Right. Because here's the deal. Once they can stand up and once they can protest. Right. Yeah. Okay. You need to make the decision before that. All right. Because I think it just starts getting more difficult. Because when, um, when, (laughs) When babies start having a little bit more say, (laughs) they are full of opinions. You don't know where, you know, the opinion is the the opinion is pronounced once they get to that age. Like we moved our son into uh, a a toddler bed a lot sooner than a lot of Uh things were. But that's because he did. He was so big. 
he was trying, you know, his protest was, I'm just going to climb out of this thing. Uh And so I'm like, I would rather have him be in this bed and practice trying to talk him into staying in the bed than him flipping himself out of the crib trying to escape. Absolutely. So that was what we had to do. And I'm like, I know, let's get him a cute bed. Get in your bed. Yes. So... So that works. Mm -hmm. You know, we when we started with our first, we did a lots of co-sleeping, which really worked well for our family. Mm -hmm. And when we had our second um, with Isla, you know, I really my husband, I really made that choice that we really wanted Isla. Sure. We did a lot of napping together and she doesn't mean that she never slept with us. That was a really special time. But. For the most part, I really wanted her to be an independent sleeper. Right. Because um, it made me a better mom. Mm -hmm. I felt like it made her mood better. Yes. So what I started doing was uh, naps in the crib. Okay. Or, um, you know, maybe I would put her, maybe we would do a little bit of playtime in the crib. So she got familiar with it. And I did this. It was a comfy space for her now. Mm -hmm. And it was a time when she still wasn't necessarily sitting up or, um, you know, she didn't have that protest of standing on the (laughs) edge of the crib. (laughs) Right. But it would be shorter periods of time. I felt like it was a nicer transition. Um, And then we just transitioned that time a little bit more overtime and you know until it was in the evening i remember the first time we put, decided to put her in her crib to try and sleep in the evenings in right. between you know i am um, in between nursing and so you know we would lay her down and we'd comfort her and you know um we do our little routine and i think that's important it's important to have a routine right um and, you know, it worked and partly it was our personality, partly it was our persistence, partly it was kind of how we transitioned in. But again, this was our second. Yes. And so, you know, I just hope that these tips and tricks will help families maybe just think about sleep a little bit differently. But I can't tell you how about that nine months makes a difference. And I think uh, one of the things I appreciate you sharing, Dr. Amy, is again, like there are lots of different strategies out there, but it kind of seems uh, one of the things we're talking about this morning is that you can try a strategy. If it doesn't work for you, it's okay to pivot and try something else. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I understand you read something like I remember uh, everybody telling us you have to do, using the word have, the cry it out. Right. That didn't work for my personality. I can't. I just couldn't. I felt no peace at all. Yep. Trying to do it. My ex-husband, he was much better at being, okay, this is what we're doing. It's the best for him. He could, yep. he could power through it. I just couldn't. Yeah. So, and I think, too, the cry it out. I get this question all the time. They're like, Amy, what should we do? We hear about this cry it out method. We mm-hmm. hear about, you know, kind of a combination where you let them um, cry a little bit and see if they'll self-soothe. And then you go in and you rub their back and then you come out. You know, I'm not a fan of cry it out. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. And all the research supports that, that it doesn't serve the children or right. babies to cry it out. And then there's some happy mediums in there. Um, I do think, however, for the first whimper, the first, you know, because babies will self wake, you know, wake themselves up and they'll kind of readjust. And then right. a lot of times if you give them a minute or two, you know, they might resettle. Okay. Yeah. And so I think sometimes as parents, we're really gung ho to be like, oh my gosh, baby's up. Yes. And we're up right away. And sometimes we are actually establishing and making those a little bit of bad habits. Okay. Um, 
not always, but I think, you know, it's cognizant to say, hey, let's just see how babies are going to do on their own for a few so minutes. So just listen. Just listen. Just listen. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and you know, and there's all these video monitors these days mm-hmm. or however that looks for you in your comfort zone um, to kind of be thinking about that way. You know, if that transition is hard, so if you decide, okay, this is how we're going to sleep, baby. And I always say, whatever you choose to do, and if you're in the protesting stage already, nine plus months, and you're choosing after they're kind of already in that protest stage, <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. That's right. kind of a bad thing. You know, it takes a good two weeks. You have to be good as a parent, whatever you're choosing to be that schedule right. for two weeks. I want everybody to hear that. Okay. Because on day three, four, five, you start losing your resolve because you get tired. Yes. You can't lose your resolve. You really have to stick with it for the two weeks. And around that two-week mark is when you start seeing good change. Sometimes it's sooner, but really, if you are just dog tired and you're like, okay, this is how we want to do it. You know, we start with the bath and then we read a book and then we lay baby down and this is how we're going to soothe baby to get baby to sleep. And you don't feel like you have that resolve in the beginning. I highly recommend asking grandma, a friend, somebody else to just come over for the weekend and you to take a weekend away. Ah, okay. It's really hard for sometimes parents to hear that. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you need some sleep. Often you and your partner need a little bit of a reconnect time. Grandmas and friends, they're well slept. If they don't get sleep for a weekend, not a bad okay. <laughs> not, a, not bad. Thank you so much for saying that. It's okay to get some help out there. We're going to make sure all of this information is on the Mom Show page. You can go and get that at mytalk1071.com, keyword Mom Show. And of course, always go to the Health Foundations website, health-foundations.com. Thank you, Dr. Amy. We'll be happy to talk to you next time. Thanks, Shannon.